You're listening to the Welcome to Babylon podcast, a discussion about living and loving like Jesus in the midst of a post-Christian culture. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode five of the Welcome to Babylon podcast. I'm your host, Keith Caps, here with Phil Kramer, lead pastor of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Hey, Phil. What's up, Keith? How you doing today? Man, I'm great and love this time together, excited about this episode. But before we jump in, we do want to let you know, if you're listening, we're going to be covering some mature content today that may not be suitable for particularly younger audiences. So if you're listening in an area where kids say 10 or younger are present, you may want to just consider pressing pause and listening at a later time. Completely your decision, but we wanted to let you know as we jump into the latest message in the Welcome to Babylon series entitled Healthy Sexuality in Babylon. So, Phil, we got a lot to cover, so let's just go ahead and jump right in. Absolutely. And you shared yesterday that our culture is clearly hypersexualized, and it has been for some time, right? So, um, but in recent years, it seems like there's been a major acceleration in the divergence of the culture's view on sexuality uh, away from God's good design for gender, sex, and sexuality. And we see that in many different sectors of society, right? So business, government, certainly entertainment. Absolutely, um, yeah, all over the place. All over the place. But as a believer who myself is a husband and a dad of young kids, man, it's becoming just more and more difficult to, quote unquote, protect my family from this onslaught. You know, I I try, I don't want to throw them to the wolves, um, but it's really difficult to keep them from the messages that they're hearing. So what should the church's posture be when faced with these cultural realities? Should we just try to run away as fast as we can and lock all the doors and windows or... Is there a better, more biblical response? Yeah, I guess it would be possible to somehow shelter yourself as a family these days. I mean, maybe if someone like lived on a little farm in Bismarck, Arkansas or something. I mean, just really. But but even there, dude, I mean, you know, there's no way that you can get away from this. But after all, the, the title of the message was not Healthy Sexuality in a Cave. It was Healthy Sexuality in Babylon. Right. You know, and so when you think about... Uh, even the context of that verse we read yesterday in, in, in uh, Jeremiah's letter in Jeremiah 29, I mean, as we said last week, build houses, uh, plant gardens, you know, seek the welfare of the city. I mean, there, there's an expectation that we're not going to isolate, but that we're going to engage in different ways. Think about John 17, you know, where Jesus, basically that's where Jesus prayed. I pray that, that they would be in the world, but not of the world. That's kind of the paraphrase of what Jesus said. So, you know, I, I think that instead of trying to isolate ourselves, uh, because that's becoming increasingly impossible, unless you, again, you go back to like a little house on the prairie or something. I mean, you just, you, you need to be able to train your, your children and train your family uh, to thrive in, in that context. Now, here, here's the difference, though. Uh, Shara and I are very concerned that our children are exposed to all of this madness in the world but that they be exposed to that on our terms, not on the world's terms, right? And so we, we want to be talking to our kids about that. We want to be, uh, you know, having these conversations. And some of the stuff we talk about at our house, quite honestly, I might not repeat on Sunday morning from the platform. It might make some people a little uncomfortable, but that's, that's how we roll at my house because we're, we're setting our kids up to be able to engage with ideas that, uh, that, that are not their own or, or, or you know, belong to the Lord. 
Yeah, that's really good, and I appreciate that, Phil. Um, that's just so important um, because, like you said, they're going to hear it from somewhere, so you might as well do it on your own terms. Um, and, you know, as we say all the time, so important to always ask that question, what does the Bible say about, you know, whatever topic it is, but not just in a church context, you know, also in the carpool line around the dinner table, um, these these areas where we're we're doing life together, you know, with our family or our loved ones. So speaking of what the Bible says, uh, yesterday you went back to the beginning and you made a point from Genesis that God is the one who created gender and sexuality, right? He is the one who made the animals and human beings, you know, male and female. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. So heterosexual sex in the context of biblical marriage was and still is God's good design, right? So but many in our society today would claim that the traditional concepts of gender and sexuality, that those are just man-made ideas, right? And they should be fluid, and we should allow people to just choose for themselves what gender and what sexual preference they desire at any given time. So, Phil, why is this sort of attitude indicative of a much bigger problem that we need to understand? So my thought on that is... You know, and I, in my mind, I go back to Romans chapter 1. So Romans chapter 1, among other things, highlights the fact that uh, men with men and women with women goes totally against God's design. Okay, of course, God's design redesigned, as we said yesterday. The point of Romans chapter 1 is not to highlight one sin as, as the be-all, end-all sin and the worst sin of them all, because we all know all sins are the same before the Lord. But Romans chapter 1 does point out that you know, same-sex uh, activity and, and even to some degree the, the, the redesign of gender, the reason why that is, is, is so noteworthy is because it, it's probably the pinnacle of rebellion against the created order and, and the creator itself, right? And so if, if we go to the creator of the universe and say, you know what, we don't really like the way you, you have designed things, We've got a better way. As I said yesterday, we're going to reinvent the mousetrap. That's not going to go well. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think you nailed it when you said that our culture is trying to redesign God's design. Um, that's a great way to put it. Um, you know, and some people may be doing that, Phil, because they don't believe in God, or maybe they just don't care about the things of God. So they don't even care what the Bible has to say. And they're making up for themselves what they think is right. Um, but, Phil, I've heard people, and even Christians, um, kind of say something like this. Well, that's just how I was created. God made me this way with these desires, and I'm just living out the desires that God gave me. Uh, so why is that philosophy dangerous, and how would you respond to that claim? Yeah, so first of all, I mean, we, we as human beings were made in the image of God, and yet ever since the first two human beings, that image has been marred by sin. And so we all have desires. I mean, every one of us has desires that would potentially take us outside of God's design, outside of God's context. Uh, when I was single, before I got married, guess what? I had a desire to have sex with all kinds of women. Can I say that on this podcast? Okay, I'm just being honest here, okay? I, I had desire to, to have sex with all kinds of women. I had a desire to look at pornography. I had all kinds of desires, but I didn't necessarily act on those desires. All right, let's take it even closer to home. 
I've been married now for 22 years. Have I ever in my 22 years of marriage had some kind of sexual thought or desire for another woman? Yes. And all the men out there said, yes, it happens, right? Did I act on it? No. Because I realized early on that, and I'm not saying that I was you know, pursuing women or whatever. I'm just simply saying what goes on in my mind and my heart could easily take me to a place where I'm acting on that. But I have said, I'm not going to act on that because God has designed this, this context, as I said yesterday, the fireplace or the fire pit. I do believe that having the fire burn inside of that context is God's design and, and God's absolute best. And that's what I want for me uh, and, and for my family. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And that's so true. Um, and it is definitely a slippery slope when we take the philosophy of just because I feel it, then I should do it, right? Um, yep. That if I have a desire, then it must be right. And that is absolutely not true. It doesn't work in any other context. And definitely it's not according to God's design. So I appreciate you tackling that important question. I mean, it is important and it's a difficult conversation to have, but it's one that we need to have, right? And as the church, we want to lean into those questions, those hard conversations with the truth of the Word of God. So when it comes to having difficult conversations about these things, you made the point that we need to be prepared to share the why behind the what that we believe. We can't just say, well, this is wrong. Um, we have to be able to share the why. And why is that so important? And how do we prepare ourselves to do that? Well, first of all, that's a great question. But let me go back to what we were talking about just a moment ago. I shared some very transparent and honest things with, with our audience just a moment ago. Okay, That's important. That's important that we that we exist in contexts and biblical community where we can share and get real, which is one of the reasons why, for example, Elevate is so successful, which you guys just set out the, uh, I think the uh, registrations got set out this week, right? One of the reasons why people gravitate to these events for men and now for women at Elevate, and they're so popular and transformational, is because those are contexts where people get real. The speakers get absolutely real, if not, you know, redemptively raw, and, uh, and, and everyone at their table groups are as well. So that's one of the great things about Crossgate, and, and probably more so than any other church with which I've been associated over the years, is that we want to get into that 2% of life. Now, going back to the why behind the what. Okay, so if all we're doing is we're sharing the what with people, what we're making an assumption about is the cultural assumptions that those people have, right? I can get up in front of the people in our church who might have been Christians for 40 or 50 years and just lay out all the what's without having to talk about the why's at all, and they'd be cool with that because they have all the same cultural assumptions. But as we talk to more and more people in, in, uh, in the up-and-coming generations, Gen Z, millennials to some degree, they just simply don't come from the same cultural assumptions or at least... They operate in a context where those cultural assumptions are, are in the minority if they exist at all, right? And that's one of the reasons, for example, why when I, when I preach, and I don't always do a great job of this, but I certainly want to, as I heard a, a pastor say one time, he said, there's three different types of people that I'm thinking about when I'm preaching, well, technically four. He said, one is the brand new Christian who doesn't know anything hardly about their faith. Two is the lost person who certainly isn't even saved and they need to have an evangelistic touch point. Three is the mature Christian, certainly who has a lot of these cultural assumptions at hand. And fourth is a 10th grader, right? I'm always preaching and asking to myself as I prepare the messages, how would a 10th grader receive this, this message? Why? Because they don't have the assumptions, right? And so I, if, if I'm preaching to a 10th grader, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having to explain and I'm getting to explain the why, 
and, and I'm always having to kind of force myself because, again, I'm kind of a guy who just rolls with it and op- operates off the assumption that everyone knows what I'm talking about. So I've got to be very s- simple and go back upstream in that regard. Yeah, that, that's really good. And I think you, you gave the example, you know, in a previous message, you talked about drag queens, you know, reading stories at public libraries, to, you know, to children and, you know, maybe even having some questions from from some younger folks is why is that wrong? Yep. Um, and it's important that we're prepared to be able to give um, an answer to that that comes from the Word of God. Um, and so definitely we have to be able to, um, you know, dive into the Word ourselves um, and so that we can be prepared to to answer those valid questions. That's, that's good advice. Well, I want to touch on one of the overarching points that you made yesterday. And you said this. You said that we have to be careful not to buy into the lie that in order to love someone, you have to affirm all of their decisions and their beliefs. Um, and so basically, you made the point that we can love someone and disagree with them at the same time. And we know that because the Bible says that, yes, we should speak the truth, but we should do it in love. Um, so how do we approach those whom we disagree with over these topics, but we do it in a way that simultaneously speaks truth and love? So, I, yes, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from that message. If people remember anything else we said, they need to remember uh, that we can love people and still disagree with them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So... When we talk about love, in many cases, we're, we're talking about something that, that, that almost seems so generic and so nebulous. It's kind of like this, this, this thing that's floating out there somewhere. That's why I like the, the word kindness, which, of course, is also one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, because kindness, consistent kindness, communicates love, especially in the context where people are in disagreement over something. Case in point, 10 years ago, Chick-fil-A was bombarded with protesters simply because uh, the Kathy family, and Dan Kathy in particular, had said, you know, we, I personally don't agree with same-sex relationships, same-sex marriage, and so forth. Well, I mean, the, the amount of public outcry against that statement, you would have thought he would have said, we need to round everybody up who's in a same-sex relationship and lock them up forever in a concentration camp. I mean, just the, the, the amount of vitriol and hatred that came out against, and of course, you know, there was a big movement to protest Chick-fil-A and have all these protesters outside and specifically, hey, I want all the same-sex people to go to a Chick-fil-A near you, go into the restaurant, start making out in one of the booths, and then make a video of it and post it online. I mean, that kind of stuff, right? And you have all these protesters outside. So what did the Chick-fil-A uh, franchises do? They took sandwiches out to them, right? They took lemonade. They, they served them. They, they, just, they, they, they really just immersed these people with kindness, I mean, what else can we do, right? I mean, you're going to get criticized. You're going to have people coming after you. We're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks about taking a stand in Babylon. And, uh, you know, I think it's Isaiah 59, 14 and 15 that says, whoever departs from evil makes himself a prey. In other words, they're going to come after you like a lion uh, running down a zebra or a gazelle if you depart from evil. That's okay. Show kindness. And so I think that's why it's, it's important not just to say, oh, yes, I... I don't agree with you, but I love you. You know, it's it's even better to back that up with kindness. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and we see that in other areas of life. You know, I, I mentioned that I have young kids. Um, the the loving thing for me to do uh, would not be to just let them do whatever they want to do or, or feel like you know is right. This morning, case in point, um, 
my boys got up this morning and asked if they could have brownies for breakfast. Sometimes I may say yes, but... Oh, I I thought that only happened in my house. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I may say yes from time to time, but they were convinced that brownies were the ideal, you know, breakfast of this morning. And and I told them, hey, no, uh, one, because they had, you know, a significant portion of brownies last night before bed. (laughs) But, you know, um, and, and that's silly, but my point is that I love them, and so I don't always just let them do whatever they want to do. I have to tell them the truth, but do it in a way that still expresses that I love them, right? Absolutely. Um, Phil, this is a really important conversation, and we could talk about a lot of different aspects here. You know, we could probably do another whole episode on this topic. But before we go, I want to give you an opportunity to speak to those who may be listening, and maybe they have a loved one, a family member, a child, or a close friend Uh, who is not living out God's design for healthy sexuality, or maybe somebody's listening and they're not living out God's design. What would you say to them uh, before we go? Well, for someone who's struggling with this personally, I would simply say it's never too late to do the right thing. Uh, And, and, you know, you think about the prodigal son. I mean, you know, he he went off to a far country, and, and so many of us uh, at some point in time, find ourselves in a far country, just recognize the Father is there. I mean, you, you know, it's never too late to, to repent, to turn back, and to go home. Uh, I think of the folks in our congregation or others who are listening who have children or grandchildren who have walked down this path, and they are in a far country. In fact, yesterday, I, I can't remember which service it was, but after one of the services, I was making my way through the back of the worship center, and I had not even left the worship center to go to Next Steps, and a brother came up to me, shook my hand, and said, thank you for this message, and then just explained to me that his son was, was going down this road in a very dark way. And I said, man, let's pray about it. So he told me his son's name. We prayed. Uh, I, I, just, I told the brother to be persistent in prayer and, and specifically to recognize that the last chapter of his son's life has not yet been written, right? Just continue to pray press into the Lord, cry out to God, and, um, and as we said a moment ago, show love as best you can, you know, and, and communicate the fact, I don't, I don't agree with what's going on in your life, but son, I love you unconditionally. Yeah, that's so good. Well, we are about out of time for, the, uh, for today, but you want to give us just a preview of coming attractions? What's coming up over the next few weeks? Yeah, absolutely. So as I said on Sunday morning, uh, we're going to go to Daniel in the book of Daniel for the last few weeks of this series. This Sunday, we're going to be talking about in Babylon, but not of Babylon from Daniel chapter 1. And then the following week after that, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, how to take a stand in Babylon. And we're going to talk about taking a stand, you know, financially, politically, morally, spiritually. Uh, you know, how, how do you stand as a, as a follower of Jesus? You don't just lay back and let the world steamroll you. You know, beyond that, we're going to do a, a message from, uh, I think, Daniel 6 about a praying church in Babylon. Daniel was a tremendous man of prayer. And then ultimately, we're going to wrap this thing up with a message talking about the light at the end of the Babylonian tunnel. And in the book of Daniel, as, as many of our listeners know, there there is a wonderful messianic prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ and his ultimate kingdom. So, you know, I mean, we're not going to be in Babylon forever, and that's good news. And then on November 13th, we're going to wrap it up ultimately with a Q&A type panel that we've done before where our folks in the uh, congregation can ask any question they want. And and myself and our other panelists would do our best to, uh, to answer right on the spot. That's awesome. Definitely looking forward to all of that coming up and excited about that, excited about future episodes of the podcast. That's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for listening and thanks for joining us, Phil. Thanks, Keith. God bless, brother. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the Welcome to Babylon podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, visit us on our website, crossgate.org, or on all of our social media channels.